welcome to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us, at Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA, 1610 AM, and Greg Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting either of SoundCloud.com or iTunes Podcasts under Mediation Station in the Arts area. We have a Twitter account that is at Fenton Mediation, so follow us. Our topic tonight is called Mental Health in the Legal Profession with our visitor, Borzu Tabrizi, and he'll be with us very shortly. We want to hear. If you want to call in, you can do so at 416-785-0680. As I mentioned, we're talking tonight about mental health in the legal profession. And with us is Borzu Tabrizi. And uh, he's sitting on the other side looking at me, wondering <laughs> what's going through my head. Wow. You know, we work together. How about you uh, start off a little bit, share some information about your professional background. Absolutely. Hi, Greg. Uh, thank you for having me on your uh, radio show. Uh, I'm happy to be here, and I hope uh, the listeners are having a great evening and um, they take uh, value in our discussion tonight. Uh, so, a little bit about myself. Uh, I am a family lawyer and a family mediator uh, by trade. Uh, I have uh, my own family law practice, and uh, I also uh, practice uh, as a mediator uh, privately and through a government subsidized program that provides uh, family mediation services to people that are in the court system and out of the court system yeah. as a form of uh, alternative dispute resolution uh, and um, uh, as an alternative to uh, resolving matters through the court. So uh, I wear a couple of different hats and uh, uh, I think both of them uh, complement each other in a way that uh, helps me um, achieve uh, my goals of helping people that are going through separation in ways I think are most appropriate. So how would you describe the work you do? The work I do is uh, dealing with people that are uh, quite often going through uh, major trauma in their life. Uh, I consider separation and divorce to be a major traumatic event that Mm -hmm. can happen in one's life. So uh, we're dealing with people that are uh, in different stages of uh, this uh, process. Mm -hmm. Uh, And... uh, it's 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 always a challenge. Uh, it's always interesting. Uh, it's uh, always a pleasure to kind of get to know people and get to know their stories and uh, try to kind of assist them in this difficult time to, um, you know, uh, help them in ways that would allow them to move forward, uh, not just themselves but their families as well. So why would you intentionally put yourself in that kind of environment where people are somewhat struggling with? in terms of their lives? Yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, in, term of, in terms of the value I take from uh, that type of work, it's kind of unmatched with anything else I could think of doing or I have done in my life. Yeah. Uh, I think it really gives me satisfaction to be able to uh, empathize with people and uh, listen to them and to help them in this time, uh, I think. I've been kind of naturally drawn to this field of law uh, yeah. since since 
probably uh, when I was in law school and I uh, was in the mediation intensive program uh, at Osgoode Hall, and uh, it really it made me think that this is kind of exactly the work I would like to do. So what drew you to law? Like why that and not quote something else? Yeah, I, I think it's a, that's a question I've kind of uh, wrestled with for a long time actually. I think uh, ever since I was very young I was kind of determined to be a lawyer and um, everything I did even through my undergraduate uh, yeah. programs. Uh, I studied psychology in my uh, undergrad but my focus was always to uh, go to law school after I'm finished with my undergraduate degree. So uh, I knew I wanted to practice and I think uh, when I was actually in law school, I definitely started having uh, doubts as to whether uh, this is something I'd like to do. But uh, I think eventually uh, family law and family mediation specifically really allowed me to find exactly where I think my place is in this uh, So was field. it family law that you initially and then determined or were you open-ended in terms of what potential area of practice you yeah. wanted to go? Uh, I, I, I was definitely open-ended I would say uh, when I was in law school I think it, there's uh, a lot of different areas of law that I found interesting yeah. um, and uh, as many people that have uh, many people that have gone to law school will attest to uh, finding an articling position after you're finished with law school is uh, could be quite challenging uh, so when I uh, commenced my article period at a lot family law practice uh, with a sole practitioner. Uh, that's uh, when I kind of realized that this is something I would like to do myself. And uh, once I actually learned about uh, family mediation and the fact that you know there is kind of more specified, specialized training, uh, I think it, that really piqued my interest. And uh, you know, with the goal in mind of kind of doing mediation work more uh, exclusively in the future, yeah. I thought it would be uh, kind of a smooth transition to have a family law practice, but also maintain a major, major focus of my practice to be on mediation. Though there are distinct, distinct uh, ways of doing the two practices, the practice of law is somewhat, other than collaborative law, is somewhat more positional, yeah, based on an adversarial system that uh, reinforces the separation of people even connecting and then mediation is a form of approach that's about collaboration and cooperation working together so how do you navigate those two streams of mindset yeah that, that's that's a challenge every day uh, I think especially in this in the area of family law it's not strangers that are often at odds it's families that have uh, you know long histories together they have children together even if they don't have children, they have you know a very strong connection for a certain period of time, yeah. and uh, moving on past that is it's not a straightforward process. Where, um, for example, a case of a personal injury matter, for example, where um, the person is essentially uh, in an adversarial position against an insurance company, where you know there's not that personal relationship. So I think uh, part of the reason I'm such a strong advocate of uh, mediation and other forms of uh, dispute resolution that yeah. are not adversarial. Right. I think they really allow people to maintain their relationships, sometimes even enhance their relationships. Uh, I think they can definitely co-parent more effectively when they've gone through something like this as opposed to a purely adversarial process. 
Now, the adversarial process has its place, and there are uh, definitely uh, uses for it, but uh, in terms of what the focus should be on, uh, I think uh, it's important to provide people with a range of options uh, right. to see what kind of is the best fit for uh, their family. Right, and to say that uh, with intimate relationships that uh, especially produce or provide for a child to resolve, you know, those are about uh, based on a relational perspective. And then to say to people that in order to address the issues when people transition to being as a couple to now being as independents or separates, to say you have to go into a system that talks about and approaches things from a very positional adversarial way and putting it in a legalistic frame, you know, that for me is somewhat challenging. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Uh, I think it's. Uh it's important to kind of uh, have good advice and uh, like I said, I think people knowing the range of options available to them is a very important thing to do at the very onset of situations where people need advice and perhaps the separation is quite fresh and they need to know what their options are. Uh, I think getting that, uh, getting that guidance at the very beginning can be very helpful and in order to kind of set, set you on a path that uh, is more productive and more conducive to resolving your conflict as, as quickly, efficiently, with uh, minimal damage to the family. So yeah, I absolutely agree. It's, it's very difficult to navigate those parts because um, uh, essentially the judicial system is set up in one way, but yeah. uh, families uh, are, first of all, they vary greatly right. from family yeah. to family, and it's tough to kind of have one solution that is able to reach every need. You know, fit everything and everybody. Exactly. Uh, one size fits all type thing. The yeah. cookie cutter approach. It's the model of trying to fit people of different perspectives, diversity, into a box to say this is the only way. Mm -hmm. When that can come into tension for many reasons, and uh, you know, we're unpacking the sense of you know what's motivating, what's motivated uh, Orzo to be in the practice of family law and also simultaneously the practice of family mediation and how distinct in many ways those two approaches and professions are yet they do work a lot in, in tandem many times and you know and you navigate through people's struggles so what are the things that are the struggle for people when they engage you i think many times uh it's uh Going back to what we talked about, when something traumatic happens, I think people uh, react to it in very different ways. Uh, some people, uh, you know, are very angry. Some people are very upset. Some people are very sad. Others, uh, you know, the the cycles of grief are very much in play when you uh, when you're. Transitioning from yeah. the relationship of being a couple. Yeah, for sure. It's a loss. Yeah, absolutely. So, it, you know, the, the grieving process uh, needs to take its course. Uh, people go through the process at their own pace. So uh, it's often a challenge when uh, the two parties are not on the same, uh, not at the same place. Understanding there. of things and how to address those things. Exactly. Uh, I think people are... You know, if they do have children or they do have, you know, joint uh, assets, we can call them, whether it's, uh, whether it's a business that a, a family has together, 
So there's parts of it that you have to, you know, think about very rationally how to transition to uh, your shifting family unit, which has uh, essentially changed because of the separation. Uh, and uh, I think the emo the emotional parts of uh, the separation really uh, can uh, provide a unique challenge to those individuals. Exactly. Uh, trying to deal with these very, you know, rational topics and trying to think rationally on what's the best thing to do for my family, but at the same time, having to do so during this very, very difficult time. So uh, I think the, the some of the um, negative emotions that people have uh, need to be uh, people need to be very honest with themselves. Uh, support, find any support that they need to uh, allow themselves to uh, be able to uh, deal with these issues. Right. Uh, so that part of it, I think, is also usually the most challenging piece to uh, attempt to move people and navigate people through this difficult time, but also deal with those uh, emotional issues that really can't be ignored uh, because they are usually the drivers of why these conflicts go in any direction that you see. Yeah, I mean, it's to say, okay, the, the two of them work simultaneously or are happening simultaneously, and at the same time, has one contributed to something like, you know, we're going to talk about mental health and we're also talking about family issues when the relationship transitions. So what I'm getting at is, does family issues when people transition create or cause or contribute to mental health or does mental health contribute to family issues or maybe a combination. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I, I think it's definitely a combination of the two. Uh, I think a lot of times people are coming at it with from their own lens and perspective anyway. People may be dealing with their own mental health difficulties uh, and an event like this uh, obviously uh, acts to aggravate any other you know issue that they may have or any other challenge that maybe uh, they're dealing with personally. Uh, but in itself I think Separation can, you know, cause depression, uh, anxiety, even people that have never really had uh, mental health challenges in the past. Uh, so those kind of things, uh, you know, it's really important uh, to get in touch with um, a counselor, uh, a therapist, something, someone you're able to speak to, uh, to, you know, really deal with those issues head on because they can definitely fester in other ways as well. So what, for you, how do you define mental health? What does that mean to you? Well, I think mental health, uh, essentially it's about your psychological, emotional well-being, uh, I think, and whether you're able to uh, function uh, to, uh, I wouldn't say an optimal level, but function in a way that uh, is kind of most productive to your own life. Uh, I think anytime uh, your psychological and emotional well-being is not... Uh, it, there's a, an issue that must be addressed. Yeah. It's very similar to a physical ailment, uh, and uh, I think a lot of the, uh, uh, a lot of times, the negative stigmas with mental uh, health issues or mental, uh, mental illness, uh, I find it sometimes hard to understand because anytime <laughs> we do have physical ailments, we're encouraged to see doctors, uh, we're encouraged to take medications or do treatments that would alleviate those issues and I think it's very similar uh, with mental health issues. I think they sh should be talked about more uh, freely, openly 
and uh, not thought of as something that you know should attach a negative stigma uh, or negative connotation. So, so maybe you've answered this. So why do you want to have this conversation? Because we had conversation together a few times about what the potential focus of our conversation for tonight would be. And we came up with this, though it came rooted with you. Yeah, so uh, I, I think, uh, first of all, in the legal profession, I think mental health issues are, uh, the, the negative stigma attached to them is probably a lot more pronounced uh, for myriad of, myriad of reasons. But uh, I think it's important to have these kind of discussions to uh, humanize not only the professionals that are uh you know, experiencing, practice, yeah, but also humanize the topic and not have it as a topic that is uh, hard to talk about or taboo, uh, but it's easily discussed and uh, you know dealt with like any other challenge that people might be going through. So bringing this into a public space and forum, yeah. is it about the public being better informed about these realities? Because many of the clients that we deal with yeah. are experiencing some form of mental health concern. Yeah. Or the professional, or uh, I would hope that it connects to uh, both <laughs> both sets of groups. Ideally, uh, I think for people who uh, are not in the legal profession or in the conflict resolution profession, yeah. uh, I think it's important for them to, uh, especially if they're going through a separation. I think it's important to really have uh, the right kind of information provided to you, uh, especially at the outset. So I'm one major message that I'd like to get across on that front is uh, kind of referring to some of the work we do at the Family Law Information Center at, at the Family Courts, sure. which I think is such an uh, essential service uh, for this very purpose that I just mentioned. Uh, for legal professionals or people in the field, I think uh, it's, you know, oftentimes people that are going through these uh, struggles or maybe not even struggles, just, you know, daily challenges. Uh, sporadic challenges, whatever it may be, uh, yeah. it's important to know you're not alone and it's important to know that there are others uh, um, that are going through similar things. There's, it's important to know that there's many easily accessible resources. And uh, I don't mean to be, I don't pretend to be an expert in this field at all, but I think just kind of uh, my lived experience in this field. And that's uh, exactly, you are an expert for yourself. <laughs> you have ownership of that. No one else can take that away from you. You know, when we do mediation stuff, that's where we provide that space for people to self-determine. Yeah. And they have that ownership. And we're really trying to provide a space for people to make informed decisions that will have an impact in the moment, though also on a continuum afterwards. So how would you say the profession of lawyers slash paralegals, because when we talk about the profession includes them. Yes, how how would they see the topic for the conversation on mental health? Well, I know uh, that in terms of it being a talking point within the Law Society of Ontario, which is kind of the governing body of lawyers and paralegals, uh, the topic is a lot more prevalently talked about uh, from uh, from members uh, to uh, kind of. The, the law society's uh, governing body. Yeah. So I think that's really important. Uh, I'm, again, I think for lawyers and paralegals, it's. Um, I think it's it, it's important that they just know that you know if, if there are if they are going through 
something like that. There are tons of resources out there for them to kind of reach out to. Uh, and yeah. Well, one, as you mentioned, mm -hmm. that bringing this topic to light, to the surface, for people to have these more transparent conversations mm -hmm. about things that they kept, quote, in the dark. Yeah. And then those things they kept in the dark, where they attach some kind of judgment. And so, oh, you got a mental health issue? You know, there's a stigma that's attached to that, which is generally a negative connotation or judgment that's yeah. placed on people. So for people to have these conversations, it takes a effort, it's a conscious effort to bring it to the forefront. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I think the more you talk about it, like you said, uh, the more it becomes normalized and, you know, uh, you can move past it and just really just get the help you need and to move on past the, the, the challenge and not have that uh, kind of become a bigger cloud in your life. So, for sure. And, you know, there's, with the stigma too, there's a lot of denial mm -hmm. that, hey, no, it's not happening to us because if it happens to one, there's a sense that it could be, you know, Others within the profession could be <clears throat> painted with the, or swiped with the same brush yeah. and labeled. And, you know, I think lawyers have a historical sense of being one of these esteemed professions. Yeah. And uh, there's a real effort to keep that sense of quality to the perceived perception of it. Yet there's another lived reality Absolutely. that's working there. Yeah, and I think kind of generally what, you know, people may... Uh, think about as qualities they would want in a lawyer, you know, you would think of someone who's a strong advocate and someone who is, uh, you know, very organized and someone who is uh, kind of very diligent. But, uh, you know, obviously these qualities uh, are shared and there's a certain uh, reason that people with certain qualities kind of head towards fields that, you know, those strengths would be uh, kind of brought out more. But uh, I think it's also important to know that you know, people in this field are humans too, and they deal with uh, they deal with conflict, and the conflict that they deal with has an impact on themselves. And it's really important to kind of be aware of that and to uh, really um, have an idea of what the impact it is, it is on your professional life and on your personal life. Right. For me, you know, we try to give the message to mediators are human beings too. We deal with people's struggles, and we do affect people in terms of their struggles or challenges or situations and at the same time we are affected by those individuals. I wanted to further unpack a bit of, you know, lawyers are human beings too, mediators are human beings. And so we are people working with, as you talked earlier, with people's challenges and struggles and crisis and trauma. and. You've got to try and find a way to, you know, as a lawyer, for example, you've got to find a way to help support people to realize their goals, their intentions, and why they enter into a family court process, for example, and try to navigate that to the best of their opportunity. Because yeah. they can't necessarily control it. Because mm -hmm. there's another person on the other side who may have counsel too. And then as the justice system is, ownership rests with a third party. It's not a mediator. In a mediation, that third party is the mediator. Third party is the judge, and they have ownership of decision-making. So what is, what is that 
type of impact on you as, as a per professional and then thus really a human being? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, there's certainly a role for uh, the courts and a role for mediation in this whole process. Uh, I think, you know, I definitely think the self-determination piece that you mentioned earlier is one of the biggest benefits of mediation where people are essentially the authors of their own uh, resolutions and agreements uh, where, you know, things can be very much customized and fitted to uh, each family. Uh, but obviously the power and authority of the court is sometimes needed. Uh, you know, people that, we see this at our office, that there's divorce cases that have been going on sometimes for decades. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, the intervention of the court is necessary to bring an end to the litigation. Uh, again, the everyone is really different. Uh, some people are really focused on coming up with a customized agreement that is fitted to their family, meets their children's needs, and allows them to move on with their lives. Others have uh, lived with the conflict for so long that it's kind of ingrained in them and yeah, it's a it's part of them. It's and normalized. Yes, absolutely. To the point where, you know, any kind of self-determination kind of comes off the table because the system is just not built to... Uh, and, and many times I would believe, from my experience, that people are looking for someone else to come in and fix it for, for them. For sure, for sure. So they defer to that other person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think sometimes that happens over... Sometimes there is a compli sometimes there is a complicated legal issue between separating parties where you do need the intervention of the court to make a determination on an issue. But other times, for sure, uh, it's exactly as you say. So how are you affected? I would believe you are affected. I mean, yeah, I'm making it, an assumption. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I think, <laughs> especially, um, I may not even kind of sense some of the impacts, but uh, just to give you an example, when I uh, kind of go home after a day and kind of explain my day to my wife, uh, I'll, she'll kind of uh, bring it, make it, uh, kind of apparent that, you know, this is, you dealt with a lot of difficult things today. Yeah. And uh, I think for a lot of lawyers, this is just kind of part of your everyday uh, professional life where you're just dealing with conflict uh, from, uh, you know, for the whole day. So it, it does, it can definitely have an impact on you. And it's important to really be aware of those impacts. Uh, I think some days are definitely more difficult than others. Yeah. Usually, uh, I, I've been told I'm a very patient person, so I think that really helps uh, with, uh, you know, this type of work. But it does definitely have impacts as well. Uh, you know, sometimes you come home after a day and you just feel very heavy and, you know, you don't have any energy and it's, uh, it definitely takes a toll. So how do you process all that energy that you absorb? Yeah, I, I would say it's a work in progress, <laughs> I think. Uh, you know, there's things that I do that are great for it, and there's things I do that may not be always so productive, but uh, I'm, I would say, just like we're talking about the lawyers or humans, <laughs> that, you know, it, it's uh, kind of a trial and error, uh, and that, you know, I, I uh, usually uh, am on top of, but, you know, sometimes it is very difficult to uh, kind of manage as well, so... You know, I have my own ways of uh, stress relief and things like that, but at, at the end, uh, I, I think sometimes even accessing those things becomes difficult just because of the toll of, you know, the stress of work and the added piece is that I'm a sole practitioner running my own practice. So I think there's a lot of pressure uh, that way as well, in addition to, 
uh, kind of dealing with the conflict. That's part of the nature of my work. But so like if you were part of a larger entity of a practice that you had a colleague, possibly you could have a little off time with that person to share my lived experience today at court. Yeah, I think absolutely. Uh, I think uh, it's, I do have, luckily I kind of uh, been able to establish a good you know, circle of yeah. uh, colleagues that I'm able to you know, talk about, whether it's just uh, complaining about a judge's decision or you know, talking about a difficult challenge with a client yeah. or any other you know, non-work-related issue. So I think that's really helpful, but uh, it, you know, the, the added pressure, which I think just uh, some of it is me kind of just putting that onto myself of being a business owner and you know dealing with uh, the those aspects of the business which may not be law related at all. Uh, so I think a lot of that with you know uh, is challenges that are maybe unique to me, but uh, I think things that you know create kind of more hurdles uh, to be able to um, you know uh, have the stress relief and all those things that I think I need to be sure that I'm able to kind of be at my best at my job. Right, and people see you, for example, in this persona, your public image, and you present the person, as you said, the patient person that works with people to help them figure out for themselves what the best approach to do something, whether it's a mediation or you do the triage work too at the Family Law Information Center. When people come in with all their tensions and anxiety, and then somewhat they have a certain expectations, and then we might ask an opening question: "What are you here for? What can we do for you?" Yeah. And then just you know it comes out. Yeah, absolutely. And then we have to deal with those moments. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, as as uh, I think as difficult as that work is, it's also uh, probably the most rewarding work that I think I do, uh, which, you know, when I'm at the office and I'm not mediating, I'm, you know, I'm not, I have my, uh, it's, I feel like it's kind of the third hat that I have on, uh, not a lawyer, not a mediator, but someone who's just kind of, uh, like you said, triage is a perfect word for it, uh, because oftentimes, you know, the people we see are really uh, just get accessing the system for the first time to get some information, whether it's just about a simple divorce where there may not be major issues to very complicated and difficult cases where there may be very, you know, uh, serious domestic violence involved and mental health issues, perhaps immigration issues. So I think, you know, really uh, the work at that office certainly, uh, you know, speaks a lot to that question. So would you say, what is the relationship of mental health and mental illness? Uh, well, I think mental illness, um, and mental you know, I, I wouldn't quote this as a <laughs> scientific definition. This is you. But it, yeah. This is you. It's okay. Yeah. So I think you know, the mental illness. Uh, I think anytime going back to the psychological, emotional aspects of being functional, just in your life, anytime that is being hindered by whether it's anxiety or fears or addiction or whatever it may be. Uh, I think you could kind of put it in the mental illness category, just uh, you know, just like your flu uh, is, a, you know, your system kind of battling uh, a virus or something like that. So I think it's, you know, it could be an issue that has reached a level where it's kind of impairing your functioning and uh, causing you distress. And you know, I, I think that it, 
itself kind of could be uh, defined as mental illness? Well, you know, the, the, the word, men, well, mental in both. Mm. The health, you know, from my perspective, it's the root word of healthy. Yep. So it's more positive. Mm-hmm. The illness, other flip, yeah, absolutely. is really stigmatized mm-hmm. in a negative light. Yep. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I think when you mention the word illness, it kind of... Uh, you're sick. It, yeah, you're sick and, you know, there needs to be a... There's something wrong with you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, uh, I think it's a very fine line <laughs> of uh, what mental illness and fitness uh, can be. I think very small changes sometimes could play major factors in, you know, turning things around. Other times, more you know, serious intervention is needed, like medication and you know, extensive psychotherapy and things like that. So, yeah, I think it's just important to really be aware uh, of your own um, uh, of your own mental health and well-being, your and state to, of mind, yeah, and being, yeah, yeah, and to uh, kind of be aware when things seem off than they usually are, and to make sure that you know it's something that you can address whether it's just talking to someone or um, you know, sharing it with a loved one or a family member or support person or uh, you know, with a professional. And, and you know, in terms of what I've read through Twitter and other lawyers, and that there's been more messaging, mm-hmm. public messaging, of the impact of mental health. Yeah, Suicide. Yeah, is a profound ultimate result or outcome. Yet there's been more mention, from what I can see, of some lawyers who are ultimately taking their own life, making that decision. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's very much a reality. Uh, there was a uh, major study done at U of T in 2017 uh, of Canadian and. American lawyers, which showed that the most successful lawyers were, uh, the more mental health issues, the more depression specifically they dealt with. Uh, so I think uh, some of that just has to do with you know reaching those levels of, uh, you know, it's not very easy to become a partner at a major law firm in Bay Street, and probably takes tons of pressure, tons of work hours that you know effectively, effectively you know. It impact your you directly and also your circle of care. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and you know, the, so within the industry itself, I think because of the fact that you know functioning uh, at a certain level is it's not always easy and it's not for everyone. But to kind of you know, I think that was the perception for many years that in order to be a successful lawyer, you do have to work sixteen hour days and sleep at the office and you know all those things, but uh, yeah, I think with uh, a lot more awareness and uh, just conversation being started, uh, like the Bell Let's Talk I know has had a huge impact the last several years, and you know, even the Law Society itself uh, has a pretty extensive uh, program called the Member Assistance Program that people, uh, that legal professionals needing mental health resources can access. I think those type of things are all really important to uh, start kind of having these conversations to make sure these issues are dealt with because, yeah, like depression, suicide, those things uh, very much affect the legal community uh, because of the nature and the, the nature of the work that they do. Well, even the stigma, yeah. the labeling. Yeah. You know, if 
if one is experiencing this and then the general uh, tone or message is that's not good because mm -hmm. you draw negativity to the profession or you are not doing what you should be doing mm -hmm. that, that word should mm -hmm. and it brings uh, a negative uh, publicity so yeah. that even even that is a barrier yeah absolutely uh, yeah I think you know the the negative connotations and the negative stigmas are a huge huge hurdle that many people are not going to get past but I think it's our job to make sure that you know we are able to normalize these conversations uh, to the degree that if someone does need help they don't they don't second guess it at all. Uh, they immediately are able to kind of reach some sort of assistance or uh, are able to kind of deal with it, like we said, like any other ailment that may be uh, affecting them. So I'm going to ask like a mediator, so how are you feeling right now having this kind of conversation? Uh, I feel, uh, you know, I feel like it's difficult, like uh, even having this conversation itself, it's not something you generally have with other colleagues, uh, but uh, I think it's it's really good to have it, and I hope that you know some someone, uh, even one person listening to it, has some sort of uh, takes some sort of impact from it or takes a positive message from it. Well, I, I believe that you're trying to transcend it from oneself, you, to another, a, a broader so. perspective, right? I hope so. Yeah, uh, I think it, it is a topic that requires that type of uh, um, that type of work. I think. It needs to be talked about to the point where everyone are, everyone is free to talk about it without having any uh, second guesses as to you know, whether it's appropriate to have this discussion. In, in your field as a lawyer and mediator, you know how the reality is that people really struggle with change. Yeah. They just can't necessarily process that. Mm -hmm. They get so used to a certain way and the predictability of formula and then when it deviates from that or moves away from that to become an unexpected in life, people's reactions are somewhat not always the best or healthiest. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that part of it is really important to be aware of more than anything when something is happening because uh, that can, I think, go a long way for people uh, to um, be aware that this is something that is happening within them. Uh, in order to kind of be able to move past it. What uh, difference can a conversation like we're having make or provide for on the area of mental health, especially within the legal profession, and then also by extension with the public at large? Mm -hmm. Well, I think uh, if, if a legal professional has a mental health issue or uh, some challenging situation that they're going through, uh, if they're able to address it effectively, uh, that would only make them a better uh, advocate and a better lawyer or paralegal or whatever it may be. Uh, so I think, I think if if you, if the legal professionals are able to uh, access resources appropriately and uh, first of all are able to be honest with themselves and are aware of things that may be going on that they need help with, I think it just First of all, for their own personal uh, health, it's hugely beneficial, but in terms of their professional abilities, it would be hugely enhanced as well. Uh, for the public, I think, again, uh, realizing that 
lawyers like anyone else are dealing with these challenges, uh, especially because of the work that they do uh, involving so much conflict that, um, you know, uh, always leaves a residue on your, uh, on your own kind of... Uh, yeah, an imprint. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, I think it's just important for people to realize this as well, and especially if they're going through uh, a separation or something, to realize that at the very beginning it's really important to uh, address these mental health issues for themselves. And that to and to realize that any kind of challenge they may be going through will very well uh, reflect in any family litigation and any problem solving that they're going through uh, with the separation itself. So uh, it's yeah, I think it's just important to know that uh, be aware of the effects on yourself and to uh, be able to access the appropriate resources when necessary. Yeah, bringing the humanity into the profession yeah. that. The bottom line is you are human beings. And so going through these lived experiences can be such a ultimately positive, productive. Because I, I would think that your empathic level of connecting with self can transcend to another, i.e. your clients, yeah. to appreciate what they're going through. Yeah, I think absolutely. I think uh being able to uh, connect to clients or you know people you're just speaking with very briefly regarding these issues, uh, I think that would come across very much so, and I think that kind of affects your uh, approach as well to any kind of conflict. Um, you know, especially in family law, it's kind of a unique area of law where uh, there's always multiple ways of doing things. Yeah. Uh, the law is the law, but you know, in terms of procedural ways to do things or, uh, you know, ways to uh, kind of come up with a solution. There's always uh, multiple approaches that different lawyers can take. So I think, you know, the advocate's own um, mental health and mental well-being really can uh, affect the way, the approach they take when giving advice or representing a person. So I think definitely it has an impact you know, kind of all over the system. Do you have an example that you want to share or could share about something at the... Regarding a professional or just... Well, not, you know, not, we're not disclosing any confidential no, information. Not. I mean, it's the context of the unique experience, mm -hmm. for example, at the Family Law Information Center. Yeah. Uh, well, I think, yeah, I think going back to your mention of the Family Law Information Center being essentially a triage center, yeah, I think uh, it really, uh, you can really impact people um, uh, by reaching them at that very early stage where they're just kind of, uh, like you said, entering the system for the first time. And uh, we, had, <laughs> we had an experience just a couple of days ago where uh, a, a, a couple uh, that had uh, come into the office just seemed like an Another couple that I, I assumed was coming in for a joint divorce process, which is something we uh, deal with pretty routinely at that office. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I went through my very preliminary questions of trying to get some background information. And uh, one of the first questions we ask is, how long have you been separated? Uh, because the rule is you have to be separated for one year to be able to get a divorce. So that's usually one of our first questions. Right. And uh, they mentioned to me that they just separated yesterday. They had decided the day before that they had come into the office that they were separating. Yeah. So I, I was taken aback by it a little bit. And uh, um, the gentleman was 
kind of speaking very matter-of-factly, and uh, the, his partner, uh, you know, was very emotional. Uh, so I kind of took them to a separate office and uh, spent some time with them talking about process. Yeah. Uh, but I knew it was not really appropriate to talk about process so early at this stage. Uh, I felt like a lot of things I was saying was probably going into one ear and out the other. Um, just because, you know, uh, we talked about people being in different emotional places and this was right in front of me where the, you know, right. where one partner is crying and the other person is very, uh, you know, matter of fact. Sto stoic and just yeah. delivering their message. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, after finishing up with them, I thought it was really important that they speak with you, who is uh, the information referral coordinator, which is a role that's so central in our office, uh, you know, for people to be able to access any kind of resource they may need at this stage. Uh, and, you know, I referred them to you and, you know, you guys were talking for probably over two hours uh, about, you know, different things, which I don't even know the full details of what you guys talked about, but I'm sure they took so much value uh, out of that, uh, not just hearing a little bit about the legal process, but more importantly, uh, being able to just, you know, uh, get some information uh, when it's so very early on and so very fresh. Yeah, that was so raw in yeah. terms of and immediate and spontaneous, yeah. uh, whereas they came in the next day yeah, yeah, with regard yeah. to a conscious decision to separate and like, how do we get apart? Mm -hmm. Where, you know, as a mediator, we try to see that what people say is not necessarily what they want. Yeah, oftentimes there's a representation of something that they understand. And so to unpack that or go below the surface to find out more about the perspectives, the individual perspectives are about the same thing. Yeah. And they had a different view of the same thing, mm -hmm. even though they've been together, married, and they don't have children. And they have different perspectives of what they were going through. And, you know, she's the more emotional person, and he's the more, as you said, stoic, uh, or that I use that term. Mm -hmm. He's more formal and presenting in a certain way. And uh, their differences we're seeing from each other's perspective as a barrier. Mm. So the idea that I was trying to approach is that their differences are an opportunity mm -hmm. to explore and find out more and better understand about each other and how that's affected their relationship. So ultimately they left, you know, from my point of view, much more informed yeah. about on a relational level, mm -hmm. on a human level, how do we navigate things so the concept, <clears throat> the idea of getting divorced was secondary, really. That yeah. was a reaction to something else that wasn't happening. Absolutely. And so, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it was just a kind of clear example of, uh, you know, the, the impacts of, the, first of all, the work that's done at that office, which I think is so, so valuable, um, but also uh, the effects of, you know, the, the trauma of, of the separation and the different reactions to it and how it could really... Uh, paved the path for how you guys, how the two parties move forward after something. Yeah, so we got to connect with that in some way. Mm -hmm. And you know, we don't get a lot of time per se. Mm -hmm. People come in and. No, absolutely. So you got to use a certain approach. For sure. Empathy is so important from my point of view. Absolutely. So we got to close out and say absolutely. thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it was uh, it was great to have this discussion. I appreciate you providing forum for it. Uh, and to any other professionals, colleagues that would like to reach me, uh, if they're having any issues, I'm happy to, you know, reach out as well. All right. So, yeah. 
you know, what can I say? I, I really uh, appreciate the conversation. I appreciate you. Thank you. All right. And we'll get this out as podcasts in the future for people to really connect with it broader. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA 1610 AM. Thank you.